gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40, which is different from your bulletin. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Listen now for the word of God. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It is hard to avoid the clash of calendars this morning. Everywhere around us, in our nation and around the world, our collective attention has turned to New Year's Day. And this day, the day before that day, New Year's Eve. Some will ring in that New Year's Day with parties and libations of one sort or another, the television tuned to Times Square and the the ball drop. Others may decide to brave the massive crowds and the frigid temperature and to see the music and fireworks in downtown Nashville. Some will prefer a quiet evening at home and are content to see the new year at daybreak on Monday rather than midnight. 
truthfully, it's, it's just another day, you know. This day before the new year. And January 1st, 2018 will be much the same for many of us as December 31st, 2017. But we have imbued the, the flipping of the calendar, the turning of the year with a great deal of meaning and weight. If you're like most Americans, you have made some, revela- uh, some resolutions, maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten. You have decided, you've resolved to do better, to be better, to behave better, to indulge less, to exercise more, to consume less, to simplify, to limit your social media, to call your mom and dad more often, to get that promotion, to finally start saving, to control your commitments and your calendars so they stop controlling you, and on and on and on they go. We could survey the room, I'm sure, and find many more resolutions than these. This thing we do of making resolutions is really a way of imagining, as Parker Palmer says, that maybe, just maybe, this year, we're on the threshold of something new and better. It seems to be a universal human longing. Case in point, I've resolved to lose 20 pounds work out six days a week, eat out less frequently, and finally, at age 50, achieve those six-pack abs that I have been chasing after for 30 years. Kim and I even compared our resolutions just the other day, and hers were similar to mine, right down to those six-pack abs. This is going to be the year. But, Recent behavioral studies by the Nielsen firm confirm um, these kinds of studies over the decades, and they show that only 64% of resolutions make it past the first month. Only 46% of resolutions last longer than six months. And a third of all resolutions don't even make it past the first month week. Furthermore, only 14% of people over 50 actually achieve their resolutions, while 39% of those in their 20s do. Did I mention that I am 50 now? And I've been resolving these six-pack abs and those pesky 20 pounds since I was in my mid-20s. These statistics point to the real limitations of these New Year's rituals we do every year. And perhaps they can serve to awaken us to a certain kind of grace and invitation that this clash of calendars provides for us. Not only is it New Year's Eve today, it's also the first Sunday of Christmas, as you heard Kim talking about earlier, which you know is not only a day, but also a season. It's a season that always provides a bridge 
It bridges the old year and the new, these 12 days of Christmas. And it gives us the opportunity, if we choose to accept it, to go deeper than just our waistlines and our indulgences to consider the gift that the baby brings today. Not the New Year baby, but that other one. The one in whom the hymn says all the hopes and fears of all the years are met. Perhaps if we can gaze long enough into the joyfully expectant eyes of Simeon and Anna, we will reconsider laying the weight of all of those resolutions on the baby that is 2018 and instead resolve the thing most needful. I want to suggest that Simeon and Anna provide a model for the shape our so-called resolutions can take. I think the biggest concern with most resolutions, it's a symptom really of an even greater concern among so many of us, including the resolutions that I have made, is that they're almost always focused on, on what I can do, what I can accomplish, what I can endure by white knuckling my way through it, what I can achieve. They put the weight of success or failure solely on the shoulders of the one who is doing the resolving. They are, in other words, devoid of anything like what we call grace. Indeed, they hardly recognize grace, that thing that comes to us freely, that we do not earn, and that summons from us not not effort so much as joyful response. Simeon and Anna are portraits of response. Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and that the Holy Spirit rested on him. Anna is said to be a prophet. that She never left the temple. She fasted and prayed night and day. Each of them are advanced in age, and each of them have spent most of their lifetimes in expectant hope. It is a hope that is directed not so much by them as by the Holy Spirit at work through them. You remember that for Luke, the Holy Spirit is the primary actor in both his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, and in his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. In both of those volumes, the Holy Spirit is the one who drives the narrative. It is the Spirit that guides and directs Simeon to Jesus. It is the Spirit that works through Anna. It is the Spirit that guides and directs us, opening our eyes to see God at work in the world. Both Simeon and Anna have lived their lives making room for the Spirit, so that when that moment for seeing comes, they will not miss it. And so, when Simeon and Anna see these Galilean peasants enter the temple area, there is nothing inherently extraordinary about Mary and Joseph 
and the tiny baby. They could be any one of scores of Galilean peasants who come year after year, bringing not the sheep uh, for sacrifice that was uh, what was demanded of those who had means, but bringing the two turtle doves or the two pigeons that was the sacrifice required for those who were poor. These peasants come to purify and dedicate themselves and their child. So we know that Mary and Joseph are observant Jews, but they are not the only ones in the temple area that day. It's only by the power of the Spirit that Simeon and Anna see more deeply who and what this child is, the consolation and redemption and glory of Israel and a light for the world. Hear this little poem by Mary Oliver called Sometimes. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Hear it again. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. This is the posture of Anna and Simeon. Attentiveness, astonishment, and a radical openness to sharing what they see. I want to invite all of us this morning to, if but for just a few moments, set aside all of those weighty resolutions and take up this one thing to walk in 2018 as Simeon and Anna to pay attention to be astonished to tell about it because if you believe as I do that the Holy Spirit is always at work in the world always in everything we do in every way calling us to see how God is present in all circumstances of life, then the only resolution necessary is to be awake in the deepest sense of that word, to pay attention. I know someone years ago who made it a practice at the end of each day to write down the ways he had seen God at work in that day. Some days it was easier for him than others, especially on those days when things did not go his way, those days filled with grief or pain or suffering of which he had many. But he stuck with it. I was always amazed by his practice. Every day, writing in his journal until he could see, until he could name the fingerprints of God on whatever had happened during that day. I remember calling him during a particularly trying time for him. And we talked for maybe 15 minutes. I didn't recall it being a particularly remarkable conversation. A few days later, I received a a note from him saying that that phone call came at a time when he felt like he didn't have any friends at all and he understood my call as a sign 
of God's presence, reminding him that there were people who cared about him and loved him, that he did have not just one friend, but many. At the time, I certainly did not interpret what I did as anything other than a routine check-in. But he saw it differently. I had the sense that he wrote those little notes all the time, naming God at work in other people. And I imagine many of them were as astonished as I was to receive this reminder of the ways God works when we don't even realize it. He was attentive, my friend, and he created space, space to be astonished, as he wrote in his journal, and he told about it. Notice, though, that such attentiveness does not just happen. Yes, the Spirit is always speaking, but it is through the cultivation of practices and habits of response that we are enabled to see and hear. Like Simeon and Anna, it takes faithful practice over time to train our eyes and ears and hearts for perception. 2018 will dawn in just a few hours for us. It's just another turn of the page of the calendar, you know. And tomorrow may look remarkably like today when you wake up. The divisions that beset our nation will not have disappeared. The constant threat of terror and war will not have abated. The broken relationships that plague so many families will still be present. The addictions, diseases, distractions, griefs, and insecurities that define the existence of so many will make their presence known in 2018, undeterred by a new year. We may or may not be able to do much about these things, but our proclamation this morning as a community of faith is that the God whose spirit is at work in the world, the Christ who is the light for all nations, has not stopped being present to us, has not stopped his work in the world, is even now present to us and to the world in a way that opens up the possibility of being different and of making a difference. The spirit in us chooses peace over division. The Spirit in us chooses reconciliation over brokenness. The Spirit in us chooses presence over distraction. The Spirit in us chooses love over hate. And in this way is constantly at work to be light for the world and glory for God. This New Year's Eve, Maybe we should consider showing ourselves the same grace that God continually shows us and lighten up on those heavy resolutions. Maybe only one is really necessary. You know, we're talking with the confirmation class each year about prayer and discernment. 
we remind these sixth graders mostly of our belief that God is always at work. And we invite them when they wake up in the morning to take a deep breath and give thanks for the new day and to pray for eyes to see how God is at work that day in Christ and invite them to join in that work. And then at the end of the day, we invite them to use their journal to name those places where they saw God at work and give thanks. And this simple practice, our seeing becomes more possible. It's not a bad resolution at all. In the end, that is what we're doing when we come to this place of worship, when we study together in community, when we go out into the world and serve, we are practicing the joyful expectancy of Simeon and Anna. We are training our eyes and hearts to see Christ. And so these two, their presence on this New Year's Eve during this Christmas season reminds us that of all the resolutions we make, perhaps the greatest one we could give to the newborn year of 2018 is to attend to our own expectancy, our own openness to the newness the Spirit brings, our own faithfulness in the following of Christ. Mary Oliver's invitation may be the key to a wondrous new year for you and me. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. May it be so. Amen.